Amen. Let's read together today Colossians chapter 4, 2 through 6. Devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I am here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Live wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you will have the right response for everyone. We'll be in Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. Let's pray. Lord God, we ask now that you would help us to understand your word. Help us to see what's there. Help us to get it. Help us to obey it. We ask this in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Down through the years, I've had the wonderful privilege of knowing several people who are what I would call prayer warriors, people who uh, really are dedicated to prayer and spend time in prayer. Um, and in most cases, in all the cases that I know of, these, these friends of mine uh, um, didn't tell, talk to anybody about it. I had one guy, uh, I was his roommate, and I didn't know for a while even, but he'd get up every morning at 4.30 a.m., which is, hey, for me, that's crazy. But he got up and he prayed. And he didn't tell anybody about it. Like I said, I only knew about it because I was there. Um, never talked about it. And I just watched and I thought, man, when he says he's going to pray, he prays. And that's a pretty cool thing. Um, I've also seen the other side, the people who boast and brag about how many hours they've been praying. And I, the two things just seem so totally opposed to each other. But I've heard people say, yeah, I spend four hours a day in prayer, and blah, blah, blah. And they keep talking about how they... And, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, the people that I know that actually do these things don't normally talk about it. They just do it. And uh, so it really struck me as we're heading into the section where Paul's talking about prayer. Uh, he's not boasting about himself. He's not saying, hey, I've got this thing nailed down. Matter of fact, all of his requests are for the ministry and for how he is impacted in a way that he can be involved in the ministry. When we're thinking about prayers, one of the things that um, came to mind was the passage that Jesus, uh, well, that we see in Luke chapter 18, starting in verse 10. Um, Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. And he said, He beat his chest in sorrow, saying, O God, be merciful to me, a sinner. 
difference, right? One's praying for show. One wants everybody to know how wonderful and amazing they are, and they're an incredible prayer, person of prayer. And the other guy just goes up and prays. Task collector, all he did was pray. I think Jesus was pointing out the true, that true and honest prayer comes from the heart, not the head. Uh, the Pharisee was all amazing, and he was great, and he was this amazing prayer. And the tax collector just said, be merciful, God. I'm a sinner. In verses 2 to 4, Paul addresses the whole idea of um, prayer three different times for several reasons. So let's take a jump right into verses 2 through 4, and let's, let's read these together. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may be, proclaim it clearly as I should. So here we go in verse 2. I mean, Paul says, I want you to devote yourselves to prayer. And that's the whole idea of being diligent and, and stick to it. Keep on, persist, be persistent, if you will, in prayer. And he says, I want, I want you all, Colossians, think about prayer. And I want you to be devoted to it. I want you to be pursuing it. And so he says, devote yourselves. And he says, to prayer. And that's the idea of having an ongoing conversation with God, which takes place in a lot of ways. And that's one of the things that we need to always remember. Um, there's a time for, you know, we're in a prayer meeting and someone prays and someone else prays. That's one form. Uh, there's another kind of prayer. We're driving along in the car and, and we're having a conversation with God. And we're just talking to him about what's going on in our hearts and in our lives and, and letting him know the things that we're struggling about. We're just, just having an ongoing conversation. That's prayer too. And then there's the times when we are by ourselves and we're with the Word of God, maybe taking some time to think and study, and, and we take time to just get with God and, and talk to Him. All, all, all those things in all kinds of ways are ways that we can pray. But Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer. And I love the fact that he doesn't say, and this is the way to do that, because I think prayer is a whole lot of different things. It's communicating with God, but that can happen in amazing amounts of ways. And so that's one thing we need to always remember. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful. So he says, as you pray, I want you to be awake. I want you to be alert. Have you ever fallen asleep in the middle of a prayer? <laughs> I have. And so Paul's saying, hey, you know, maybe you should pray a little earlier so you don't fall asleep in the middle of your prayer. But he says, be watchful, stay awake, be alert, be aware of the danger of the enemy. In other words, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Peter actually said something very similar. Look at what he said in 1 Peter 5.8. <clears throat> stay alert, watch out for your enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You see, this really parallels well with what Paul said. Paul says, devote yourself to pray. Be watchful. Well, Peter says, stay alert. Watch out. You've got an enemy out there, and he would love to destroy you as he would any Christian. And so as we're thinking about prayer, remember, we're praying, and, and we need to stay alert and think, and we need to, sometimes we just need to say, Lord, I need your help as I pray. I don't even know all the things I need to pray for, but God, you bring them to mind. Help me to remember those things so that I can pray. 
In thinking about your enemy, the devil, C.S. Lewis said this, too many, two mistakes Christians make in talking about Satan are that they either joke about him or ignore him. And that's just not a, very smart. He's real. We don't need to be overly concerned with him, but we do need to know that he's out there and that he would love to devour any Christian that he possibly can. The good news is, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So as we think through those things, and as we're going along, and Peter says, stay alert, and Paul says, be watchful, we think about those things. Um, You know, it's a warning. Wake up. Pay attention. We're in a spiritual battle. And I think that's one of the things that both Peter and Paul are trying to tell us. There's a battle going on, and as that battle is going on, we need to be alert and watchful so that we can enter into that prayer, realizing that there's a battle going on, and trusting God to be the strength that we need to face whatever that battle brings. So devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, and then he says, and thankful. The whole idea of gratitude towards God. Uh, it, it kind of puts us in right relationship to him when we come with a thankful heart. And we come and we're just thankful for all that God has done. Um, this quote I came across, Believers who pray with gratitude for God's blessing will be less likely to be led astray by the lures and the lies of the enemy. The enemy's out there. The enemy and all of his minions, and 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 uh, wants to distract us, wants to draw us away, wants us to trip up, wants us to attack each other, all kinds of things that the enemy would love to see happen. And we are called to resist him, to stand firm, and to keep trusting that God is at work in these situations. So we are called to persevere in prayer, be vigilant in prayer, and to let Thanksgiving flood our prayers as we direct our hearts and minds to the Lord. So verse 3 goes on to say, first one, verse 2 is devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Verse 3 then goes on to say, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. And so pray for us too. Paul is saying, listen, pray for me. I'm, I'm here and I'm being held and I'm going to go to trial, and all that stuff's going on. So pray. Pray for me here. I am in prison. Now, he was in his own rented house, but he was chained to two Roman soldiers. And so this prison was not like being in a dungeon somewhere, but it also, there was no freedom for him to come and go. People could come and see him. He could visit them. He could teach, all kinds of things, write letters. But Paul says, pray for us too. I love what he asks for, that a God may open a door for our message. Now, if he had just said that God may open a door, you may be thinking, okay, he wants God to spring him and get him out of there, right? But that's not what he says. He says that God may open a door for the message, for our message. Open the door. And, and it's interesting to me, here you've got the Apostle Paul saying to the people in Colossae, you guys need to pray for me and, and pray that I would have an open door for the message that is so good. I want, I want an opportunity for the gospel. That's what he's praying for. And he's asking them to prepare by praying for him as well. So pray for us, too, that, the God, that God may open a door for our message 
so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. I want you to pray for open doors that I have the opportunity. And the opportunity that I want is that I will be able to proclaim to absolutely everybody who comes through the door the mystery of Christ Jesus and how he died for the sins of the world, how he died individually for them and for their sins. He says, that's what I want to communicate. So he says, pray that God would open the door, and that he would give me the ability to proclaim the mystery and the wonder of Christ in such a way that people understand it and believe it. Just pray for us that the door may be open for the message, that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ. And he says, proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. I'm in jail, Paul says, because of the fact that I preach the gospel. That's why. That's why I was arrested. That's why I was sent to Rome. And, and um, he continues to say, I, I'm in chains, but everyone around me, guards, visitors, and all the others, I want them to be hearing from me the gospel of Christ. So let's read these three verses together one more time before we finish with verse 4. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Now, again, to me, the thing that strikes me as I read these three verses is the humility of Paul. Uh, You know, Paul's... He's Mr. Paul. He's the big guy running all over the world, doing all kinds of stuff, writing letters to all the churches. And yet he says, pray for me. Pray that I'd have an open door. And when that door's open, pray that I would proclaim clearly the gospel of Christ. Not a prayer I would have expected from Paul. And yet that's why he is who he is. He's, he's seeking and following the Lord. And there's, a, there's an intimacy there that makes him know and realize that without God working, it doesn't matter what he says. God needs to be working in the hearts of those that are listening, or it's of no value whatsoever, because it's God that brings that result. And so he says, pray for me that I proclaim it clearly as I should. So pray that I may proclaim it. I want to be clear. I want to be plain. Uh, I want it to be clear. He knew that everyone who... Paul knew that not everybody responds the same way to the same message. Think about that. He's dealing with Jews. He's dealing with Greeks. He's dealing with people who have a Roman citizenship. And, and as he's talking through that, he's saying, pray that I would be making it clear. Because a Jewish person over here is not going to respond the same way this Greek person over here. The same message won't apply. I can talk to the Jewish person and talk to them about how Jesus Christ has come to fulfill the law and show them even from the Old Testament Scriptures how Christ is the answer. The Greek person, that's a whole different ballgame. They don't have the Old Testament. And so what did Paul do when he was in Athens and uh, Acts chapter 17, he's there, and he goes up, and, and he's been looking at all the different statues of all the different gods that they've got. And he found one that was to the unknown God. And it's almost as if the Greeks had said, you know what, just in case we didn't get everybody, well, let's put this one out there. And, you know, if somebody says, hey, you missed one, well, no, this is to the unknown God. But Paul takes the statue of the unknown God and starts there. He says, I want to proclaim to you this unknown God the one that you don't know because you haven't heard. 
And right from there, he begins to teach and preach the gospel in Athens. And so he understood. Presenting it clearly meant thinking it through and presenting it in a way that the pe- people were listening would, would understand. Um, and then he says, this is really, to me, incredible. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. I, really? On some level, that's kind of encouraging. Paul had to pray that God would encourage and strengthen him to be able to do this. Then when I pray that God would strengthen me and make me able to do this, it's okay too. Because if Paul had to do it, man, even more. Oh, God, help. I need it. I want to be able to share. And so Paul, Paul sees this as a solemn duty. This is something that he has to do, but not only has to do, he, he's, he wants to. There's a big desire in his heart to share. He's got this overwhelming sense of obligation to bring the good news to anybody who will listen. That's what Paul is doing. Philippians chapter 1, 12 through 14, he puts it this way. And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here, and he's talking about being in jail in Rome, Everything that's happened to me here has helped me, helped to spread the good news. So Paul's movements are restricted. You know, he can be in that place that he's renting and, and he can be there with the two soldiers on either side. People can come and go. He cannot, but people can come and go. And he says, everything that's happened to me here in this place while I'm in chains has helped to spread the good news. And you sit back and you think, I mean, He's chained. He can't go anywhere. How's the good news being spread? Well, it's being spread by everybody else who are now saying, hey, if Paul can do what he's doing in prison and be bold about sharing, even with two guards on either side of him, then we can certainly share with our friends and neighbors and our family. And so he says, pray for me. I'm, I'm restricted here, but the gospel's not restricted. And he says, um, verse 13, for everyone here... Again, where he is in prison. Everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I am in chains because of Christ. I mean, if what I read is true and some of the, some of the historical things that I've, that I've read is that he was chained to, to two soldiers and they rotated them because nobody wanted to be on duty with him for 24 hours. And uh, regularly, Paul had a chance to talk with these guys. You get to know them. He was there for two years. And, and Paul says, you know what? Everyone here, including everybody in the palace guard, which is the guards that would come to, to watch him, all of them know I'm in here not for being a criminal, not for doing something wrong, not for doing something against uh, the, the Roman government. I'm here because of Jesus Christ and the message of the gospel. That's why I'm here. And he says, everybody knows it. There's no, nobody that doesn't understand that that's why I am here. And Paul is not committing any crimes, but he's in chains for the gospel. That's the thing that, that he wanted them to understand. And then he said in verse 14, and because of my imprisonment, this is, this is one of those things again, you say, okay, maybe God does know what he's doing sometimes, right? So because of his imprisonment, because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here, now he's talking about Rome, have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. That's amazing. And, and you sit there and you look at it and you go, wow, God does know what he's doing. He put Paul in prison, sat him down, 
And guess what? He wrote four letters that we still have in our Bible during that time. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon are all written in this time frame when he's in prison. And while he's in prison and still proclaiming the gospel to anyone who will listen, there are people outside of there, the Christians in Rome, who are saying, okay, we can be bold. We can take this message wherever, and uh, God will make something come of all of that. So because Paul was in prison, many would think the rest of the believers would run for safety, but they didn't. Uh, God chose to use what looked like a big setback, throwing Paul in prison, to encourage believers in Rome to get going and do what they're supposed to be doing, which is reaching out to others. And so the Christians in Rome see Paul, watch what he's doing, understand what's going on, understand why he's there, and they are encouraged and they are strengthened, and they now look outward and say, okay, how can we get this message to other people? And that's the thing that was going on in all of this. So Paul prayed for three things. He prayed for them to be diligent, alert, thankful in their prayers. He prayed for an opportunity to share the gospel. He says, I want open doors. I want there to be a flood of people through here who need to hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he says, pray for clarity. I want to proclaim the gospel in a way that the hearers understand it and that the Holy Spirit will begin to work and apply in their lives the gospel that they're hearing. So, again, it's important for us as we're looking at this to understand the context in which Paul is writing. And we find that in Acts chapter 28, verse 30 and 31. Uh, this is the end of the end of the book, Luke's writing, and he says, For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. How'd you like to play, pay for your own jail cell? Uh, apparently that's what he did, but maybe that way he got a better one too. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Isn't that cool? God put him in prison for a reason. He said, okay, you need to take a break. Here's two years. I want you to do some stuff. I want you to write some letters to the churches. I want you to disciple people who are coming through. I want you to lead Onesimus to to the Lord. All kinds of things happen. Excuse me, because Paul was in prison. And that's not what we would normally think. But Paul's in prison, and God uses it powerfully all over the world at that point. Another very simple implication here, really. Verse 2 says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. That's the whole idea of being diligent, persistent. Don't give up. Keep on praying. And, and that can be directed to us no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through. Devote yourselves to prayer. Now, this quote I thought was really encouraging. Our persistence in prayer is an expression of our faith that God answers prayer. Isn't that cool? The fact that we keep on praying is proof that we believe God is actually going to answer. Otherwise, we'd just quit. We wouldn't pray anymore. But we pray and we persist in prayer. Why? Because God answers prayer. Verse 3, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message. So keep on praying for open doors. Keep on praying for the opportunities to share uh, what Jesus, who Jesus is and what he's done. And, and, and I was thinking about that. <clears throat> when is the last time that I 
just took some time very specifically and said, Lord, I want you to give me some open doors for the message with someone. That's a really good thing for us to pray. Lord, help me to, if there's somebody that needs to be touched or needs to be reached in some special way, Lord, give me those open doors. And then give me the wisdom to be able to step through and to be able to present your amazing grace to them so that they will hear it. So one of the things we can do in our own lives is say, Lord, give me an open door. I have no idea what I'm going to face this day or this week, but I would love an open door to tell someone a little bit about Jesus. And we ask him for it, and then we watch for it. And as it comes up, we say, okay, Lord, I need your grace. I need your words. Fourth one. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. And so what Paul's saying is, hey, when the opportunity comes, I want to be able to say it in a way that makes sense to the person I'm talking to. So pray that I would be clear in that. And as we're praying, so many times when I'm trying to talk with someone, whether it's in the sense of the gospel or something else that's going on with them, all the time my brain is going, God, help, God, help. I can't do this. I don't have this wisdom. But you do. Help. So we pray, we ask for those opportunities to come, and then we ask, Lord God, make it clear. Help us to speak clearly. So prayer is essential if the gospel is to be communicated clearly and powerfully. Let me say it again. Prayer is essential if the gospel is to be communicated clearly and powerfully. And I think that's one of the things we see in these first few verses that Paul wants us to know. Let's move on to verses 5 and 6, and let's read these together. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And so here we go. Be wise. Use sound judgment. Um, As you ask for open doors, and as we pray that God would open doors for the gospel, we also want to be praying that we would be wise, that we would know how to respond and and how to talk with people about what's going on in their lives. Again, we think about the person, we think about what needs they may have, or maybe they're sharing with us some needs, and in the context of those needs, we can, as God opens those doors, share, share the gospel, how Jesus is able to answer those kinds of needs that they're sharing with us. Um, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, and outsiders as unbelievers. So he says, be wise in the way that you act towards unbelievers. Um, How you treat them matters. You need to be treating them like people who Jesus loves, because he does. And and sometimes we look at people and we say, well, you know, they're lost and, and we don't want to deal with it. That's not good. We need to be saying, okay, Lord, This person is lost. Help me to understand how I can begin that process of sharing with them so they get to know you. So be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders. And I love this next phrase, make the most of every opportunity. On one level, what Paul's saying here is if you see something that's a possibility, jump on it. Do what you can do with any opportunity that comes along. And so Paul here is saying, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Pray for those opportunities and ask God for wisdom as you step into them. Now, please understand, make the most of every opportunity does not mean that we come 
with our, all our Bible verses and ready to go and ready to just blast them as much as we can with the Bible because, you know, maybe God can do something with that. I, I don't think that we are called to win the argument or to blast away at people. I think we are called to share the gospel. And I don't think you have to win the argument, if you will, in order for the gospel to be shared. I've seen too many times what happens when people come in with guns just banging away at people and how that turns them off and they don't want to have anything to do with the gospel. And one of the things that, that I like that he's saying here is make the most of every opportunity. And, and it, it's almost as if Paul's saying, listen, you're sowing the seed here. Okay, so as you sow the seed, remember what farmers do. Farmers are very conscientious and understanding, okay, I've got this kind of dirt, this is the climate here, and, and I'm going to prepare where I'm going to sow the seeds, and I'm going to put the seeds in, and then I'm, I'm going to water, and, and then I'm going to cultivate, and, and only when it has grown ready for harvest do I come along and harvest that. And if you take that image and say, okay, so... Evangelism, it is never about one event. When someone actually makes that decision, maybe one event, but there's a whole bunch of stuff in everybody's life that leads them up to that point. You know, it may be that someone shared something or someone was just really kind to them way back, and then things got really hard, and, and maybe their roommate in college was a believer and was able to just say, hey, I'm praying for you. And so there's all these little steps until the point where it's just right. This is the time. And someone can do the harvest. <clears throat> Make the most of every opportunity means that we pray and ask God to open doors. Uh, and then we pray for wisdom to do what we need to do to go through those doors. Remember, Paul said this about believers in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3.6. He said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. One more. There we go. Thanks. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. And it was Paul saying, man, I, I want to do what Apollos is doing. I want to be closer to the harvesting. No, Paul says, hey, I plant the seed. I did what I'm supposed to do. I got ready, I planted the seed, Apollos came along and he watered the seed and God was working all along and the harvest came. And that's what he's trying to communicate here. Be wise. Make the most of every opportunity. Be careful how you act towards outsiders. Remember, evangelism is a process. It's not just one event. People who get saved at evangelistic crusades, that's not the first time that God has been doing things there. The fact that they went to the crusade is many times because a friend brings them, invites them. And so there's all kinds of different steps. And just... We can be the one that plants the seed, the one that waters it, or the one that's praying for God to make it grow. Verse 6 says, Let your conversation uh, be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Let your conversation. Now, this is really important. We're talking here in the context of evangelism and sharing the gospel with people, and Paul says, let your conversation, and I just want to pause there, conversation is not one-sided. Conversation is having a dialogue with the person. And that's what he's trying to communicate here. It's not a monologue, it's a dialogue. 
in your conversation, let it be always full of grace. And on one level, he's speaking of the grace of God, but another level, he's speaking of being gracious as a child of God. And both of those things are implied there, as he says, let your conversation be always full of grace, <clears throat> seasoned with salt. And people have all kinds of ideas as to what this means. For me, it's just the idea that I'm, I'm seasoning it with salt in a way that's appropriate. So whatever's going on, I'm going to bring whatever seasoning needs to be brought into this context. Um, maybe it's my cultural understanding gives me ability to be a little bit more careful in, in how I present the gospel. But always seasoned with salt. Some think it's a whole idea of flavor, that kind of an idea. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. How to answer everyone. That's a lot of people. <laughs> How to answer everyone. So on one level, what he's saying, I think, is, you know, let your conversation be always full of grace. You're thinking, okay, Lord, help me to be gracious. Help me to explain your grace to them. Season with salt, the whole idea of, of making it palatable, perhaps. But then the whole idea of, Lord, I don't have an answer here, but you do. Help me as I try to share with this person. Now, it's implied that the believer's life will be radically different than the world, and they will see what's going on and want to know why. That's always a really great thing. You know, if, if you're doing something and it's because you're a believer that you're doing it, and someone says, why are you doing that? That's a great jump-in point. Say, so, well, you know, it's part of what I believe. And then you begin to share a little bit as far as they want to listen at that point. Now, two extremes that we need to avoid when it comes to sharing the gospel, one is saying nothing and not sharing the gospel, being too embarrassed or too afraid. I'm going to wreck it or I'm going to cause conflict. Um, that's something we need to avoid. Avoid not sharing. And the other one is avoid saying too much. There's a balance. And each situation you need to be thinking through, okay, so this person, where are they in this progression towards Christ. And sometimes as you're talking, you'll see, oh, this is way back here at the beginning. And so you just give them, answer questions and give them some things to think about. Or they may have gone all the way through this process and all they're waiting for is, what must I do to be saved? Tell me, how can I do that? And so anything in between. So we're thinking and praying and saying, Lord, help me not to be silent and help me not to be so full of words that they miss, the, they miss your gospel. What's the takeaway? Let's just take a couple minutes to, to look at that. And let's read verses 5 and 6 one more time together. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. On one level, what's being said is our attitude towards the person we're speaking to makes all the difference in the world. I've seen people come and share the gospel in very difficult situations and they were listened to because of the care and the grace that they showed as they were communicating. And I've seen others just literally blow everything up because of how strong and militant they were in trying to convert these people. Let your conversation be full of grace. It's a conversation. It's supposed to be kind and considerate. 
Paul was not teaching people at Colossae how to load their weapons and go to war. That really wasn't what he was about here. He was about learning to speak, learning to move forward, not being shy, all of those other things. Now, one summer I was working on the, in the, on the border in northern Mexico, and there were several groups down there, and I was helping to coordinate, and I was doing translating, and we were doing some construction, and we were doing VBS, and in the evenings we were doing some services, and in that area where we were all working, there was a, a store, a tienda on the corner that sold various things, and I would go down there and get a Coke, and at one point, the, the owner down there uh, asked me, uh, so what are you guys doing down here? And I said, well, we're building houses, and, and we want to help some people who are struggling. And, and he said, oh, that's really cool. I said, we also, you know, we're teaching kids about God. And, and he thought that was really cool. And so we talked a little bit, and um, then I, was, I went ahead and got back to work. For a couple of days, I was able to just go down and talk to him. And, and finally, he says, why are you doing this? And I was able to say, well, we're doing this because we believe that Jesus Christ wants us to do it because he wants people to come to him, to know him. And, uh, you know, a little bit longer, and, and then, then I was gone. I came in the next day, and there was a young lady I went from one of the groups um, who spoke some Spanish, and she had backed him into a corner, and she was, boy, just hammering and hammering and hammering, and, you know, you, you don't want to go to hell, and just on and on and on and on. And I just kind of thought, wow, (laughs) this man was talking regularly and asking questions, but a young woman corners him in that kind of a way. That's not real helpful in the long run. And so I kept praying and hoping that God would would touch touch him in some way anyway. And I I didn't have a chance to go back after that, and I just prayed that the Lord would work in some way. Now, just think about that scenario I just gave you. Verse 5 says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. And this young woman meant well. Please don't hear me criticizing her. She may not have been given as much training as she needed, but her heart was she wanted this man to know Jesus. That was her heart. I know that. Um, But she missed the whole idea of being wise in the way you act. If you're backing someone into a corner to talk to them, think about what that communicates. It communicates that you're really pushing them into a situation. Um, and to the person in the corner, it feels like an attack many times. Okay, so just, you know, one of those things, be wise in how you act. Verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace. Now, she may not have ever been trained in that way, to realize that the more gracious you are in the way you present the gospel, the better chance you have of someone at least listening to you and taking that next step. Maybe just beginning to think, okay, maybe this stuff is true. Um, she didn't talk about it being a conversation. For her, it was a monologue, not a dialogue. Um, verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. And that's the whole thing. I think sometimes we just need to stop and say, okay, Lord, I want to say all that you want me to say. Just bring it to my mind. Bring it to so that I can go ahead and communicate that truth. Peter has something to say about this. He said it a little different way, 1 Peter 3.15. 
In your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. That's a very powerful verse, I think, for personal evangelism. Uh, Yeah, Christ is at the center of it all, and I want to be prepared to answer. So Sometimes that will mean studying and thinking through. Uh, Various times when I knew I was going to be involved in settings, I I memorized some verses that had to do with evangelism, thought through some of the steps that I might share with someone. I thought through sometimes some of the things of objections that someone might have and how I could maybe answer any of those objections. Um, Answer to everyone who asks you, kind of interesting, to give the reason for the hope that you have. So on one level, what's being said here is, if they say to you, why are you like you are? Why are you so different? Why are you here in Mexico doing this? Oh, there you go. You've got an open door. And you can move through that with God's help and his grace. And you give a reason for the hope that you have but you do it. This is missing so many times. And when I was younger, this was missing for me as well. Do it with gentleness and respect. Gentleness and respect. We're called to pray and to think and to prepare and to be ready to share the gospel. Uh, And we can study and prepare to seek good answers for questions that people might have. And then we need to remember we are giving the reason for the hope that we have. And that hope is Jesus. Why is it that I'm here doing this? Why is it that I live the way I live? It's because of Jesus. And for me, favorite verses about hope are lamentations. Yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin fresh every morning. And so we have hope. God's love never ends. We have hope. His mercy never ceases. And so as we're talking with someone who needs the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to remember that hope that we have. His love never ends. His mercy never ceases. And and his faithfulness is great. And his mercies are new and fresh every day. So we're, be prepared to share about hope that we have in Jesus and ask ourselves, the most important thing that we can tell someone about Jesus would be what? And we think that through and say, okay, this is what Jesus has done for me, and I want, I want to communicate that in the best way possible. And so we share as God opens those doors, always remembering gentleness and respect. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your word. Thank you for how practical it is and how challenging it is. And Lord, I just pray for each of us that we take time this week to say and pray, Lord, open, open a door for me to share with someone and then give me the ability. May we all be challenged, Lord, to do that. We ask that you would work in our hearts and in the lives and Anybody that we know that might need to hear, we pray that you would bring them to us or that they'd come to mind or that some way there would be a connection that we could share with them. 
We ask these things, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and respond with one more hymn this morning. Fair is Lord Jesus, ruler of all nature, Lord of both God and man, the Son. Thee will I This week, may we be brave in conversation, and may our words be appropriate and seasoned with grace. Now bow for the benediction. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Amen.